This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Kiesi. So this week, we are joined by Dr. Leah Jordan, who is a neonatologist at uh, Children's Minnesota. Uh, Leah is here with us today to tell us about uh, a community initiative that uh, is quite cool. Uh, Leah, thank you for making time to be on the show with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to share with you today about a really wonderful collaborative project that we've been doing in the Twin Cities in Minnesota about donor milk use for infants of the Islamic faith. We um, recently had the blessing or approval from Islamic leaders by way of a religious ruling called a fatwa. This is a religious clarification, and their clarification for the Muslim faithful has encouraged the use of donor milk for infants, um, which is the first time in the nation that this topic has really been addressed. Yeah, that's that was very interesting, and I and I believe that um, what uh, reading some of the articles that were published on the on the subject that you guys identified um, something within your community that um, really made um, patients, families of Islamic faith, reluctant to using donor milk. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what did you guys notice and 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 how that sort of uh, led to um, you reaching out to community leaders? Yeah. The challenge we primarily identified was really a difficulty partnering with and communicating with Muslim families around donor milk. In the Islamic faith, there's a belief that breastfeeding a non-biological child establishes a familial relationship between the mother and the infant that she's breastfeeding. And this is really an intimate relationship that um, prohibits future marriage between her children and her milk children later in their life. With donor milk, obviously in the United States, our donor milk is pooled, it's anonymous. And so the families expressed a real worry that their child would receive this milk, have these familial relationships established and not know, and that they could unintentionally marry their milk sibling later in life. And that was a really heavy um, burden and a heavy worry for these families. When I was early in my residency training and fellowship, there was certainly this recognition in the local medical community that our Muslim families tended to use donor milk differently than other families. They tended to be more reluctant and hesitant. But there was very little discussion initially about what these concerns were and um, how we as the medical team could address them, which really compounded our communication challenges, right? You can't answer a family's question if you don't know what that question or that worry is. Yeah. And I'm I'm fascinated by the fact that these are the type of issues that as a neonatologist, I would have been like, oh my God, how, how am I going to fix, how would I even fix this? And I'm amazed that you guys were able to find a path where you were able to get uh, the right people involved. And so can you tell us a little bit, how does that process look like for you to get out of your comfort zone, meaning out of the NICU and really finding the people, the, the right stakeholders, I hate that word, but the right stakeholders to actually come to the table and have a constructive conversation, really centering everything around the babies. Yeah. Some of this ended up being very serendipitous and fortuitous. So um, as a neonatology community, we started talking about this um, myself, uh, my partners from Children's Minnesota, Tom, Drs. Tom George and Dr. Ann Downey, um, and Dr. Nancy Fahim, one of our collaborators at the University of Minnesota M Health Fairview. Just kind of talking amongst ourselves, those conversations ended up kind of spilling outside of the neonatal community. So Dr. Nancy Fahim um, is also the leader or is involved in the leadership of the Minnesota Milk Bank for Babies. And through that, um, conversations also reached the Minnesota Breastfeeding Coalition. 
One of our key stakeholders at the Minnesota Breastfeeding Coalition is Shukri Jumale, who is my colleague at Children's Minnesota. She directs our Midwest Fetal Care Center, um, and she's the treasurer for the Minnesota Breastfeeding Coalition. Mm -hmm. And in her role at the Fetal Care Center, she had previously done work um, with the Minnesota Islamic Council around fetal surgery and actually discussing what the implications of fetal surgery are for Muslim families. And that work had been coordinated by a community health advocacy group called Brighter Health, Brighter Health Minnesota. Um, and so she roped them into this conversation and really um, just it was a gathering of people slowly but surely. Um, I love um, what you said about we can't answer parents' questions if we don't know what that question is. And there are so many things that we ask families to do, which for a variety of reasons, cultural, uh, ethnic, religious, um, educationally, that that um, is maybe in conflict with if, with what um, they accept for their babies. Um, so I wonder kind of what advice do you have for other people who are trying to tackle the same sorts of issues in their community? Yeah, I think sometimes it's easier for us. We've spent so much of our lives in book knowledge um, that sometimes this cultural competency or that topic can become a list of rules or a list of almost just biases that we have about certain populations. And moving to a more anti-racist approach to these questions, I think really involves humility. It involves being willing to ask questions, even mm -hmm. if you don't always understand where families are coming from, and being willing to to listen to what those answers are and, and take them seriously. You can imagine a family in this position they're new to the NICU, right? This conversation comes up right away. They're dealing with all of the trauma that comes along with a NICU admission, expected or unexpected. For some of the families in the Twin Cities, we have a really large Somali-American population. And so they were navigating these conversations with an interpreter or with sometimes without an interpreter and some limited mm. English proficiency. So that was really challenging for them. And they're hearing that the answer for their baby is either, um, you know, something that could cause their child to die, getting formula when they're a really high risk for necrotizing enterocolitis or something that carries these lifelong religious implications for them. And so just taking a moment to put ourselves in their shoes and, and understand where they're coming from was really crucial. Yeah. Talk about being a, between a rock and a hard place in, mm -hmm. that, uh, in that scenario. And so can you tell us a little bit about um, what was the response that you encounter from the community leaders? Because it does feel sometimes that if it's a religious issue, it's very inflexible, but you're, you're the demonstration that it is not like that. Yeah, I want to thank the Minnesota Islamic Council for their willingness to come and sit down at a conversation that at face value felt really, you know, in conflict with their beliefs and kind of out there for them. This is a big change. Um, it was amazing to have the help of Brighter Health Minnesota and some of the other um, Somali Muslim healthcare workers who were kind of bridging the gap and um, forging those relationships with us. So we sat down at a luncheon and we talked with the Minnesota Islamic Council, the scholars that were there. We went through all of the medical benefits of donor breast milk. What is necrotizing enterocolitis? What does it look like when a baby gets necrotizing enterocolitis? We also had leaders from the Minnesota Milk Bank who talked through from you know A to Z how we screen, collect, pool, process, and test all of the milk that we get. And then we just sat around a table and talked really openly and, and honestly and respectfully about what 
a solution would look like. And for the Muslim scholars, obviously the medical information that we provided was new. And for the medical workers, some of the intricacies about the Islamic faith were new to us too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just took a lot of vulnerability on everyone's parts. And that was a really incredible moment to be a part of at a time when our world feels so separate and um, divided to be able to sit with people and find a solution based in our common desire for Muslim infants to go home and survive and thrive in their lives long-term. So that was a really beautiful moment. As I like to say, you created a bubble of hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that that's kind of cool. Can you tell us a little bit since that uh, fatwa was issued? Uh, how has been? How has that changed your day to day work in the NICU, uh, especially with families of uh, Islamic faith? Yeah, I will say I think many of us were hopeful that this would be the you know complete solution that we would have these perfect and easy conversations going forward with this fatwa text in hand, and it certainly has been beneficial. We have now had families come in very eager and excited to use donor milk, which feels like a very subjective change to me, but a a change nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some families who really want still time to think about what this new teaching means and process it with their imam and have further conversations. How did this come about? What does this mean about previous teachings? And there have been families who disagree with the um, ruling from the fatwa, and that's okay. I think that's normal for any religious ruling on any subject. Um, And so we're just trying to continue to collaborate with our partners. How can we continue to create culturally sensitive um, resources so that families in this acute situation in the NICU have the answers from their community that they want? And what's interesting about this is that it looks like from what you're describing is that this this ruling has pretty much given uh, uh, your your family's agency to to make a decision mm-hmm. without uh, without the concern too much of saying maybe I will be uh, infringing on on rules and so on. So I think that's kind of it's kind of I was not expecting this answer, but it's kind of interesting to see that then your fallback into I guess normalcy where some parents will still say no to donor milk mm-hmm. even if they're not of the Muslim, of the Islamic faith. And so I think it's kind of nice to see that yes, then. People have their opinion, and there's that uh, Gaussian curve of distribution, and that's just the way it is. It's uh, it's amazing. So I'm very happy. I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah, and now that you know the question of milk kinship at least has been addressed in the text of the fatwa, I think we're seeing new questions and concerns come to the surface, and so we'll continue to answer those and and provide clarity where we can. That's amazing. Yeah, I think you've done such a neat thing. I think when we think about this topic, this umbrella term of advocacy, we think legislation and lobbying, but basically you've said this is something that is really prevalent in our community and um, it's um, impacting the care of our babies. How how can we tackle it even locally? And I think that you will see a trickle effect um, past uh, the walls of your NICU. What has that looked like? Yeah. The Brighter Health Minnesota organization that we worked with on this project um, has had an email line that people can find in all of the press releases. And within a matter of hours of the press release going live um, about the fatwa text, they had hundreds of emails. And some of those were local. Many of those were national as far away as um, Washington and other parts of the country. Um, And then the news story also got picked up by an Australian news channel and a newspaper and has made its way to an Islamic council in Australia that's now adapting um, our text of the fatwa and promoting it in their community. So we certainly have already seen this uh, beyond the walls of our um, 
our hospital, our state, and our community, which has been wonderful. That's amazing. Dr. Leo Jordan, thank you for making the time. We will link uh, the article describing this um, this initiative on our website and we'll leave contact information for you as well so that if people want to find out more and maybe uh, are inspired by the work that you did, uh, can actually get in touch with you. Thank you so much for being on with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Incubator Podcast. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Instagram or Twitter at nikupodcast, or through our website at www.the-incubator.org. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care professional. Thank you.